You're listening to the Ghouls Gang podcast. You're here with your host, Zoe. So hello and welcome back to our podcast. This month is April and we are discussing none other than one of our favourite themes um, and favourite kind of like horror subgenres here at Ghouls Magazine and that is none other than vampires. And today I'm going to be joined by Harriet who is going to be discussing two films with me today because yeah we just couldn't choose um, between two of our favourites. So the films we're going to be discussing today are Bram Stoker's Dracula and the other film we're going to be discussing today is Interview with a Vampire. So very similar themes, um, quite I guess influential and both coming from novels in themselves as well. So really really exciting discussion so I'm not going to hold you up any more longer. So let's get into our chat. Hello, how are you? Hi, yeah, I'm doing good, thank you. How are you, Zoe? Not bad. It's been a while since we've last uh, last spoken, right? Yeah, it was since the goal, it was the goal's night out, I guess. Yeah. Which I'm not sure how much speaking I ended up doing by the end of that night. <laughs> <laughs> lots of dancing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was lots of dancing, but it was a fun <laughs> night um so today we are going to be talking about vampires which i'm very excited about and we're actually covering two films um so for anyone listening you are going to get yeah a a double bill let's say um i guess we'll start with our first film which is of course interview with a vampire so harriet you chose this one so um do you want to start by giving uh, a brief synopsis of the film yeah so the film is about a vampire called louis and he is as as the title suggests being interviewed um so he uh He's, he's living in the modern day. So in the film, that would be the 1990s. In the, in the original book, it was the 70s, which is when it was published. And he kind of gets to a point in his life where he wants to um, tell, basically come out of the shadows and tell his story about being a vampire. And he chooses a particular reporter to, to tell his story to. And, you know, the reporter, there's kind of elements where like he, he doesn't quite believe Louis and, you know, he thinks, oh, okay, I'm talking to a vampire, sure, whatever. And then the whole film is really kind of Louis telling his amazing story about his life and how he sort of was kind of birthed as a vampire, really, and like what happened between then and then the present day. And it goes right back to when Louis was um, living in the 18th century in um, Louisiana. It's always Louisiana <laughs> in a vampire narrative. <laughs> it's got to be. Yeah, he was actually a slave owner in Louisiana. And then he had a really difficult time, like he lost his wife, he lost his child, so he was in this like deep despair, um, and he was quite a vulnerable person really, and then this vampire looks at, um, this quite iconic character, crosses his path, and kind of takes it upon himself to turn Louis, and thinks he's kind of like the right person to be his companion in life, 
and then they have this kind of companionship relationship mm. as vampires over the centuries um quite, quite a turbulent relationship as well and the, the, the film kind of explores that and um and also explores which i think is a really key part of this film and quite a unique thing in this film is the sort of melancholy of being a vampire mm, because yeah. we kind of think that vampires are these kind of epic awesome supreme beings and you know they're really sexy and they're glamorous and they go to cool parties and they have like <laughs> these amazing lifestyles and you know in many ways you know i'd want to be a vampire based on that but i think what we see in the interview is a different side to that like the kind of the other side of the coin where there's kind of sadness and there's loss and it's kind of not always it's not always nice and it's not always a life that you choose well i think that's quite key here as well like the consent around being a vampire so yeah that's my little Wow, thank you for that because, yeah, I'm I've got to say, I'm so pleased that you chose Interview with a Vampire because it's like, I don't know, for me, it's like one of my favorite vampire films ever, and I feel like it's not spoken about enough. But, um, what, what was the reason why you chose it? I think it's just one of those films that you um, you immediately think of when you think of a vampire film. For me, it's it's, interview, it's either interview with Francis Dracula. Um, it's just a really iconic film, and I wonder if it doesn't get spoken a lot about because it's sort of the genre of it is a bit odd. Like mm. it's not quite a horror film, and then it's a bit kind of like it's quite a it's almost like a kind of like an adventure film. I put it's part like romance, like the genre is a little bit mixed up. Yeah. Um, so I think for that reason, people don't really know like how to talk about it or like how to kind of deal with it, how to how to place it. Um, so yeah, for me, it's just a really iconic film, and yeah, I just love like the themes of what it's kind of doing with the vampire narrative, kind of um, challenging a lot of the sort of preconceptions, um, showing a different side to the, the vampire life. Um, I think the cast as well is just really epic. Like yeah. I think you know, like Tom Cruise. Brad Pitt and Kirsten Dunst and quite a lot of those actors as well. I think they weren't as big then as they are now. Absolutely. It's kind of like just a huge, like a really good culmination of like all these different huge A-list stars that may not have been A-list at the time, but they are now. So I think it's kind of like it's kind of iconic looking back on the past as well. Yeah, it's um, like you said, it's it's an interesting film in the fact that it definitely doesn't fit into a typical kind of like movie trope and i think um i think that's what makes it probably like so interesting as a vampire film as as like you mentioned you know it is probably more like an adventure drama film um even you know you could go as far as kind of like a period piece as well it's it's i think you know in many ways it's kind of quite far removed um from horror which you know does make sense because we're we're all about horror but you know vampires that they're definitely seen as like one of the go-to horrors um i wanted to pick up on one of the themes that you mentioned because i feel like that is part of what really really makes this film um and obviously we need to talk about the fact that the film is based off of Anne rice's novel um of the same name as well which i actually haven't read i don't know if you've read it 
Yeah, I've, I've read it, yeah. And quite a while ago. So I don't know if I've got, like, the sharpest memory of it, but... No, that's all right. I feel like um, from what, what I've read, not of the book, just in research, it all seems like quite the same. Um, but the theme that I wanted to pick up on that you mentioned is around kind of like the melancholy of the film. Because uh, as you said, like to me, when I think of vampires, I'm like, yeah, they're like the badass things of the horror world. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm thinking like sunglasses, leather jacket, you know, like Lost Boys type thing. Uh, do you kind of like the aspect of it like going down the route of sadness yeah i think so i definitely love the kind of the coolness of the vampire don't get me wrong i think that's great <laughs> i think we all love that but um yeah i do i think i think it's something you see a lot more in like the late 20th century and yeah. actually more now as well when like vampires become a bit more humanized mm. and they're not just like two-dimensional monsters they kind of you know have like a backstory like they were a human once and you know they experienced emotions and maybe they had relationships and they were loved and you know they can love someone else and yeah I like it I kind of like the sort of crossover between vampires and humans yeah I think it's an interesting place to be um you know why not make monsters a bit more well-rounded and a bit more three-dimensional yeah, because, I mean, so many, like, vampire stories, they, they talk around the fact that, like, vampires don't have souls, which, if that's the convention of a vampire, then technically they, you know, they shouldn't feel sad, like, you know, they're immortal, it's, it's awesome, but I think it's, I think in interview with a vampire, it portrays it, like you said, in such a human way, and in such a, like, a way that you can imagine i mean you know the life of a vampire is essentially like very very sad lonely isolating you know they'll they'll make companions or friends um who they'll either you know kill and eat because that's how it is or you know they might watch from afar loved ones family grow old and die and they don't and i think you know I guess that's why some vampires often choose to turn someone else into a companion. And I think in this film, um, obviously you have Louis and Lestat and, you know, you, you also mentioned about like consent and it not being consenting. And I think, you know, when we also come on to Claudia, who is the the young girl, her character is such an interesting one because she's stuck in this child's body but she ages in her mind as a you know she grows into a woman which i find is quite disturbing in a way yeah absolutely yeah i do think she's probably the most interesting character in this film even mm. though like louis kind of telling the story <laughs> uh, after a while you're kind of like okay i get it you're sad like, <laughs> let's talk about other people but no yeah yeah claudia is yeah it's re- really complex because, yeah, she didn't, uh, to, from what I remember, she did choose to be turned. Um, yeah. And, you know, she's a child as well, so she, can she really consent to that? Mm, and yeah. I think, if I've remembered rightly, she was like, was she like a child in poverty? Is that right? Yeah, she's like a, a child. They're in, um, it's during the plague and Louis finds yeah. her and her, her mother's died and he feels like he can save her from poverty the plague by turning into a vampire yeah 
Yeah, because I mean, in that situation, she doesn't really have like any options because her option is either just die as a human or, you know, be turned and live with Lestat or then live under Lestat's control. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, she doesn't really have many options. She doesn't choose her life. And then there's some really, I think, quite sad moments in the film where she's kind of longing to be an adult. You know, mm. like where she kind of sees that woman in the window and she's like, I want to be her when I yeah. ever see her. And then, you know, Louis doesn't really know how to respond. And then and there's also some quite horrible moments where Lestat is kind of like knows that she has those feelings and he's kind of taunting her, saying like, you know, she'll never be a woman and that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it's, I think her storyline is really sad. Um, you know, never being able to kind of live the life that you want, never being able to kind of grow up and, you know, live live like a fulfilled life, basically. Um, and I think there's sort of com- complexities around her her yeah, like you know, her relationship with adulthood. Like, yeah, is she an adult? Is she a child? Yeah. Because she's like perpetually a child in the sense that she's got a child's body. But then if she lives if she lives for decades and you know, she kind of lives in this adult world and she's not a vulnerable person, she's like a predator really. So, you know, is she actually an adult? Um, yeah, it's kind of a yeah, it's a it's a tricky one. And as well, I think there's a bit of a I don't know if you touched if you kind of got this as well. Mm. But I think there's a bit of a um, an ambiguously sexual relationship between her and Louis. And yeah. again, it's kind of like, is that okay if she's not technically a child? Yeah, what what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, completely. I mean, it's quite. Um, it's obviously it's not like fully ex- explored within the film, but you're right. It's it's definitely tonally there because I think you know a lot of the ways that they are with one another. Um, I think the scenes where she kind of is stroking his hair. You know, she's always like touching him, grabbing him, and you know, it's almost like we. I think we see at the beginning kind of like louis uh take on like a fatherly role towards claudia um that's kind of how he approaches it but of course you know if you think that they're together for you know let's say years upon years as she does age as she does you know become closer to him closer to his age mentally of course there's probably some form of of bond between them and perhaps they don't physically um you know attract one another they might not necessarily do anything physical but there's definitely that kind of like emotional attraction between the two of them which like you said it does kind of make you go oh that feels very uncomfortable but if she is you know let's say if she is like a 40 year old woman in a 12 year old you know of course she's gonna see louis as kind of the person that she wants to be with because as well you know it's not like she can go out and get a boyfriend or meet someone else so it becomes like a really complicated relationship but i feel like for all three of those characters their relationship is so complicated like overall yeah yeah definitely i like what you said about how it might not be a sexual relationship but it is definitely a a connection that they have and i wonder if there's an element of almost kind of shared trauma there because neither of them i don't i don't think either of them really consented to being Mm. turned because yeah. um, Claudia can't really because she's a child and she didn't really have a choice it was kind of die or be turned and then Louis wasn't I don't think was really in the right frame of mind 
to make that decision because he was just so full of despair and yeah. really kind of just you know didn't want he didn't want to live in pain but he maybe didn't want to be turned as a vampire so I think really they both kind of are, are bonded through this kind of shared experience that maybe neither of them really chose or didn't really kind of think through yeah they yeah because you're right i mean it's that they are you know the the consent aspect of it is is really what kind of like drives this film and yet they're almost in i mean in a way you could call it you know toxic abusive relationship with lestat he holds the power he is you know like you said he makes remarks he taunt he taunts them both he makes them you know he almost makes louis beholden to him uh love him you know there's it the film definitely touches on kind of like queerness and there the ambiguity between lestat and louis and what's really going on there and i feel like the scenes where Lestat almost kind of taunts Louis you know when he invites the women over and he looks at Louis and you know it's not a come and drink her blood it's almost like don't you wish this was you or this is what I did to you there's so much around that and um, I guess as the film progresses we see you know both Louis and Claudia want to get rid of Lestat and they they try don't they they try very much so to get rid of him and it is yeah, you're absolutely right when you said, you know, they're, they're bonded in that trauma between them, which I guess, you know, anyone that's gone through a, a something so horrific together, of course you're going to end up having, like, a very, very deep bond. Yeah, I mean, I've watched this film quite a few times and something I love about it, and this is kind of how I know I've seen a good film as well, is I kind of pick up on these different things every time I watch it because mm. I hadn't really ever watched it thinking yeah that relationship's quite abusive and you know but it is you know yeah. and um, I think as well like yeah you kind of touched upon the queerness of, of the relationship between Louis and Lester I think that's so like important as well and I can't believe that this was you know originally being written like the novel was being written in the 70s yeah and it, like how kind of forward thinking it is really because they're basically like a queer couple whether they have like a sexual relationship or not and that you know queer parents as well mm. and in the film they're kind of like walking around in i think it's like paris or i think new orleans and they're both they're just like two men holding the hands of their child and it just seems like the norm yeah it's really uh it's really unusual and it, yeah it just seems like really ahead of its time yeah, and I think that for me is an aspect that I've always liked of vampires is sexuality is very fluid. It doesn't, you know, they don't conform to sexuality. It's, you know, you are who you are. This is how the relationships are. There's nothing that kind of like puts them into a, well, a man needs to be a woman, you know, all of that. It, it really kind of disregards that. And I think you know the vampire folklore and, and mythology in general pushes that aside and is like well what does it I mean we're immortal um you know and I think it what we do in the shadows make a joke of it I think Naja or something says you know why would I just sleep with men if I'm here forever yeah. and I'm like <laughs> fair enough like it makes sense um and I read an interesting thing is that when um when they were making uh, the film, apparently um, they were worried about the uh, adaptation of showing them as as both men. Um, and there was at one point where they were talking about perhaps 
uh, changing Louis's character to be played by a woman because um, they didn't think that big budget studios would be okay with the, the two characters um, being men, which I found really interesting because I was like, you know, clearly the book is designed to approach and be quite, you know, like you said, progressive. Yeah, oh, that's so interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, how different would it be if it was a woman's story? And I wonder if it would be as popular a film if it was like a woman's story as well. Because I think some of the popularity of the film is that it is so it is so kind of progressive and it's, yeah. And yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, I guess it would make certain elements of the film more kind of palatable to an audience because mm. it would be like a sort of, more heteronormative they'd be a more heteronormative couple because it'd be like less that a woman and then a child yeah that is that is so interesting to think about how that would change i'm kind of glad they didn't do that i'm glad they kind of just went in and like on the original story because i think it works so well as it is i i think it works really well as it is and i think you know i think as well the fact that, you know, Louis is such a different kind of, like, male character that we're, we're used to seeing on screen. I think we're used to seeing a character like Lestat on screen, that kind of, like, power, dominance, you know, bit bit of an arsehole vampire, let's put it that way. But I think, yeah. um, you know, I think if, if Louis had been made into a woman, it would feel like that same old trope of, you know, oh, the female's a victim, you know, she's with him because of X, Y, and Z. Whereas having, you know, Louis as, and I guess in a way as well, you know, this, this gorgeous creature, you know, he's he could have anyone, have anything, and he's kind of stuck in this uh, sadness and this, uh, you know, controlling relationship that he can't escape. Um, and the only other person he has as as companion is a young girl that, you know, is almost like a daughter he created to have. It, it really adds something because, yeah, he's, you know, quite an effeminate, um, sensitive soul compared to, you know, you think obviously, and we'll come on to the film soon, um, but thinking of, you know, adaptations of like Dracula, Dracula is he's masculine he's a very manly kind of vampire as is Lestat whereas Louis is complete opposite yeah yeah definitely I think actually yeah the vulnerability um of sorry someone just started hoovering outside hopefully you can't hear that but <laughs> yeah because the vulnerability of Louis I think is really important because yeah if it was if it was a female vampire and they were kind of showing their vulnerability and their sadness and um yeah i think that would be kind of expected because you know we do i think in our in culture and in film and stuff we do see women as more vulnerable figures than men but i think it's important when men have moments of vulnerability too and are kind of sharing their emotions yeah and um i think you know the the emotional again just touching back on kind of like the emotional aspect of the film i think you know for a vampire film it's quite it's quite subtle um in its approach i don't think there's there's not particularly many kind of like standout horror scenes it's not i personally wouldn't say it's quite that very scary um i think it's i think it's you know a really good telling of vampires and their life and and as you said you know near the beginning kind of like that human element of them i do want to just discuss like um some of the scenes that are in the film because i feel like 
I feel like it's a film that a lot happens, but it is very kind of like slow and there's not necessarily a lot of scenes compared to some other vampire films where you go, oh my God, like that's a standout scene. Um, but there are a few for me that like particularly stand out. The one, and I, I have briefly mentioned it, but the one that I always go back to is uh, when they invite, um, I think there are a couple of um, sex workers around to their, I was going to say pad, it's not really a pad, it's like a palace or something, isn't it? <laughs> Welcome to my cribs. Um and they start drinking from uh or they start drinking from one of the breasts and i remember like that always really affected me the first time i saw this film because i was like in a way it's so sensual and sexy sexy i can't speak today um but at the same time it's not like i found it quite frightening because um the actress she just shows how fearful she is how in a second and i know in the ghouls chat we were talking a little bit about this the other day is about um kind of those like erogenous zones having veins in and it being like how quickly you can change from potentially having sex with someone and getting down and dirty to being drained of your blood it's that bit for me i find quite frightening yeah that is a really, really good scene. Um, yes, and, and the, the actress, so I think one of them is drained and killed and the other one is kind of not quite yet and she really kind of is mm. so frightened and her performance is, is really raw and authentic, I think. Yeah, I th- yeah, because, I mean, in that film, quite a lot of the feedings, I think pretty much all the feeding scenes except maybe Claudia, when Claudia and Louis are turned, but they pretty much all start off as some kind of erotic encounter yeah like it's you know someone being seduced and then they basically die so the kind of the feeding like there's, there's always that um kind of boundary that's a bit unstable between mm. like the the sexuality and then actually the danger yeah and what you were just saying about that scene actually it's kind of made me think of i mean i'm sure a lot of women have experienced this kind of situation where you're kind of you know maybe you're with a guy or you've gone back to a guy's house and you don't actually feel 100% safe. Yeah. And it's kind of made me think of that. Like, you know, you might be, you know, having like a sexual encounter and then maybe something happens that you're not happy with or, you know, you suddenly don't feel safe at this guy's house. And actually, yeah, that scene actually, I think really resonates with that feeling. Maybe a lot of female viewers as well. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point, actually. I never, I never really thought about it from that way but that's exactly what it is where you know i mean you have to put a lot you know to be with someone intimately you put a lot of trust in that person and i think that's you know a lot of where the fear in vampires comes because like you said you know starts with that erotic encounter and then it goes quite awry and you know they are they're masters of seduction but they're also you know they're they're liars they're manipulative they're doing it for what they want which is you know very similar to people that do put you know women um and even men and you know lots of people in unsafe positions in a in a powerless um position and i guess that kind of goes back again to to lestat and the position he constantly puts louis in is is in that powerless position of you know i think it's quite clear throughout the film that you can tell that louis doesn't necessarily feel safe um around 
Lestat and and neither does Claudia you know hence why hence why she kindly slits his throat which is a, another great scene um but are there any other kind of like standout scenes that you feel like are really powerful within this film yeah i i really love the, the what goes on at the theater of vampires so mm. the kind of show that they put on yeah it's so like multi-layered um i mean to be honest if i would i would watch that say <laughs> absolutely <laughs> i mean I don't know if anyone's ever thought of doing this, but just like doing like a remake of it in like a theatre or something. Mm. I mean, I don't think the West End would have it, but maybe like a smaller <laughs> like art theatre. <laughs> I would watch it. But yeah, like what goes on there is quite odd in terms of consent as well. Because mm. maybe I need to rewatch this scene, but I think it's really unclear like whether the <clears throat> the actress in that show is consenting to what's going on. Yes, because you see, you've got like these vampires who are kind of all feeding on this one woman in quite a sort of ceremonial and ritualistic and quite erotic way. Mm. And it's not quite clear whether she's consented to being in that or whether she's kind of been captured and she's just kind of being basically sacrificed in front of this audience. Or, you know, whether she's consented to maybe being an actress in the show, but she's not consented to being killed, in which case it's basically a snuff film. Or whether she has consented to all of it and in which case she's kind of in, in control of the whole performance. I think it's just, yeah, it's like that scene is doing a lot. And I'm not sure like what the kind of the answer is to all of that. But I think it's raising like a lot of questions about consent there as well. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, actually, because I guess they they sell it in a way that they're like, oh, we're doing this for humans, you know, to to give them a show, to make them have a fun time. And, you know, of course she's into it. Like, she's she's kind of, like, sacrificed herself up. But, oh, I mean, knowing a vampire, they're, of course they're going to say that. Like, they're not going to go, well, no, we've kidnapped her. And, you know, it's it, again, goes into that kind of, like, as you said, nature of consent, also, you know, around, like, power, manipulation, um, you know, I think it's so easy to forget with vampires that they're, they're evil, you know, I think we've almost been conditioned as an audience to, as we, you know, back to our first point, to think of vampires of, oh, that's cool, though, isn't it, being a vampire, where actually, you know, they're kind of like one of history's oldest uh, demons that exist, you know. We're all big fans of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And what does she do best? She slays vampires. But on the flip side, we're like, yeah, but they are quite cool. So it's it's almost kind of tying into, isn't it, how society views vampires and that we all we almost do kind of think that they're they're good, but essentially they're still not um you know i think even when we look at uh, the characters of of louis and and claudia you know for instance claudia goes on to um change madeline who is i'm not i can't remember who she is a lady that she meets change her into a vampire because she wants a companion which is you know a completely selfish act to force this again force this woman because she doesn't want to be force this woman to be a vampire because she needs a friend for life which is you know it just goes back to the fact that it just seems like vampires are a bit selfish arseholes really aren't they <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah they are and there's there's actually i mean this is something i've not actually given 
I don't think enough thought to until mm. we start talking about it. But as monsters, they are actually quite, there's quite a lot of crossover <clears throat> between like them as kind of sex offenders, if you think about it. Like, you yeah. know, and like there's, there's always something kind of erotic and violent about what they do. Yeah. You know, especially, in, you know, like the old kind of films, like the Hammer films and like Nosferatu, where it's like just like a woman in bed sleeping and then someone literally like breaks into a house and tries to kind of feed on her. It's always actually like a really violent act yeah. against women. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think maybe we kind of, it's very easy to erase that and look at the kind of the sexiness and the glamour, but they are, they are, you know, dangerous beings. Um, and it often, yeah, it's often kind of women that are the target of that. Yeah, I think, um, and I guess that kind of segues us quite perfectly, um, I think, into our next film, to be honest, because thinking about, you know, women being the ones that are fed on and kind of the, I guess, the object of of the vampire's desire um, goes back to, you know, kind of history and the origins that lie, of course, within um, Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, which is again probably my other favourite vampire film. So you did really well, Harriet, because I was like, <laughs> that's why when you suggested them both, I was like, we're gonna have to do a double bill because we need to talk about them both. Um, again, yeah. another vampire story based on a book, obviously based on Bram Stoker's um, book under Dracula. This film was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Um, so short synopsis of the film um for anyone that doesn't know dracula is a prince um from a long long time ago in romania is sent off to war and during the world war his wonderful princess uh kills herself after receiving a note from the opposition saying that her prince had been killed he returns to find that she's killed herself and enraged he i guess kind of says fuck you to um god and ends up being a, a vampire it's a little bit a little bit iffy around you know the way he actually becomes a vampire but we'll get into that in a minute um and he becomes what is known as dracula and where we see this film star is from jonathan harker who we're following his journey, his journal, which is what the book does as well, starts off um, his journal entries. He has to go and settle some accounts for Dracula, who, funnily enough, is buying property in London, which I just love. I'm like, yes, choose, choose a great city, mate. Um, so Harker travels over to Count Dracula's uh, lair, let's call it, stays with him and soon realises that something is very, very wrong um, and that his wonderful fiance Mina, over in the UK is under threat because Dracula has decided he he wants her because she looks very much like his late fiance um that he never got to marry so then we kind of follow yeah dracula's journey to getting mina um in his arms which is i think for me the film is a great accompany piece actually for interview with a vampire because i guess there's a lot around love and sadness again um i i want to know what what your kind of first experience was with this film yeah so i 
so I did a PhD on gothic, so like all lots of lots of fun stuff. Um, <laughs> and uh, vampires featured quite centrally in that. So I probably watched Bram Stoker's Dracula for the first time within at some point within like the last five years. Yeah, and I have I had a bit of an odd relationship with it at first. So I do really love it, and I've seen it. Like, <laughs> but when I first watched it, I was a bit like, "This is a bit of a mess." <laughs> <laughs> It is, I think, in some ways, because, you know, it's from, like, 1992, so, like, some, mm. some elements of it, I think, look a bit dated, and it yeah. is quite an experimental film. Um, and I think if you don't know, if you don't know going into it that it's quite an experimental film, and it's very kind of, like, it's a very, like, cinema-less film as well, just yeah. kind of playing around with things. I think if you're going into it expecting, like, a conventional narrative that's maybe a bit more, like, Interview with a Vampire, you mm-hmm. might be a bit kind of taken aback by what it's doing. Yeah. So I think going into it, I was a bit like, oh, I don't know about, I don't know about this, I don't know about this. But actually, <laughs> the more I've watched it, because I've watched it quite a lot of times, the more I watch it, the more I have like different kind of respects for it. Mm. And, you know, again, it's like like with interviews, like every time I watch it, like a new thing kind of jumps out at me that I feel really impressed by that I maybe didn't notice before. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I. On reflection, I do really like the film. I and I know what you mean. Like it is, it's very different, and actually, it's not that well rated by a lot of people. Um, I, when I was doing a bit of research, I saw that it got like got quite slated actually by a lot of big big outlets, and I think a lot of them said, you know, what you said as well. But feels like a bit of a mess, which. I think the problem is, is I think, you know, trying to take a a novel like Dracula, which is in these journal entries, and it does flip between, you know, kind of timelines and Mina and Jonathan. It is quite like a bit here, there and everywhere in as a book. I mean, I actually struggled to read the book because I found, you know, I was like, oh, it's quite, you know, I think reading journals and notes is it's tough so i can see um why the film perhaps feels kind of like the same as disjointed in a way and a little bit of a mess but you're absolutely right you know in terms of the fact that coppola has put a very distinct style on it which i really like you know like you said you know the first time i watched it i was quite young and i was like oh this is a bit weird like not not what i'd seen in a vampire film but having watched it again um the other day i was like actually vampires are quite like out there quite outlandish when i think of vampires i think of them being very flamboyant and eccentric and this film is very flamboyant and eccentric i mean just thinking about like costume design it's so damn good the the suit that dracula wears at the beginning i want to live in it i love it Oh, oh my god! Oh, what the armor? What do you mean? It's like big red coat that he's just like walking around his castle in. To be honest, I mean, the armor. But I'm also, you know, I wouldn't turn down that big red cloak because, like, you know, I want to own a big house one day and swan around in a cloak like that. Yes. So any of it, really. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, the costume's absolutely amazing. I think the costume actually won an Oscar. I think mm. it did. Yeah. Um, yeah, the costume designer. Um, oh, I can't remember her name, but she's a Japanese lady, and the costume is very like Asian inspired as well. Because mm. what I really like about the costume is it's not like like the costume's really outrageous, but it's I 
think it doesn't fit in with like the time period yeah. or even the culture. Like yeah. it's not like Victorian dress. It's not like even sort of British Victorian dress. It's just completely like an amalgamation of different styles, cultures. It's really kind of like, yeah, extremely flamboyant. I mean, one of my favorites is Lucy's wedding dress that she also wears when she uh, becomes a vampire and she kind of turns at the end, like kind of when she's a, when she kind of rises out of the grave. Yeah. And it's like um, this, she's got, it's like, it's bright and she's got this kind of big collar on and apparently it was like meant to be inspired by a, a lizard. So she's meant to literally look like, a, she's like a bride, but she's meant to look like a, this kind of lizard. Um, I just, yeah, I just love it. The, kind of the inventiveness of it and it's so imaginative. It is. It's a. It's um. It's a really imaginative film, and I think you know what is essentially quite. It's quite a dull storyline, to be honest. If you think about it, you know, Dracula is kind of just courting, um, Mina in a in a way with you know Jonathan being fed on by the the three, um, I think they call them like vampire whores at some point or something like that, but uh. I think I also read Gypsies or I don't know it's it's Dracula's like harem of 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 women um who don't have many clothes at any point in this film I've got to put that out there but you know yeah most of it is kind of just watching Dracula go after Mina in a way and you know it's quite a long film but I found like because of the different kind of like designs and because there's random kind of sections in there and there's a lot going on it also feels like it's all right um and i think you know another kind of thing about like the style of it what i found really impressive was all of the effects so obviously it came out in 1993 here in the uk two days after my birthday which is a really i don't know i'm like i was born and then brand <laughs> stoker's dracula came out it was so fun um but yeah it is the fact that it still holds up in terms of effects because uh i know that they opted for like all kind of practical effects over any cgi and also you've got like a lot of um camera effects with you know eyes in the sky very coppola you know thinking of apocalypse now lots of like red moons and things but i think it just holds up really well visually as a film yeah, I think the effects of what they did with the effects makes the film so timeless. Yeah. Because I think, like, you know, com computer-generated effects can age really badly. Mm. I mean, so I never actually watched Avatar, but I know looking back on a film like Avatar now, it's kind of like, <laughs> oh, we've advanced a lot since this. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because they opted for stuff that was, like, yeah, quite practical and almost, almost like, kind of silent film-type techniques, like using kind of shadows and light and that sort of thing. It's just always quite a timeless film. I mean, one of my, my favourite bits is when, I think it's when Dracula is first introduced when he's in his castle mm. and um, Jonathan turns up and then he's introduced as a shadow on the wall. So he's kind of like this ominous shadow. Yeah. Past, and then he appears as a person like holding this uh, lantern. Like that's such an amazing effect. And it's, it must have been so simple to do because it's not, it's not like computer generated or anything. It's literally just like shadow effect. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, that shadow effect, agreed, is like, is throughout the film as well. And I think um, the shadow effect, like, is a really good way of portraying Dracula's power 
over everyone in a very subtle way um and the fact that his presence is is always there and thinking about you know what we're talking about with interview with vampire with lestat's kind of like you know dominance over the other characters dracula uses i guess it's like mind control you know supernatural elements to control all of the the men and the women the animals and everything in this film um i think it really kind of looks at like i think it touches on like how frightening dracula is as a character yeah there's a sense of like his power being really kind of like insidious and it's sort of always mm. there and it's always lurking. It might not be in like a sort of material form, but it might be like, you know, a shadow or like a feeling or, you know, an, an animal that he's kind of controlled or something. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And I like, and I like the fact that, um, I think one of the other things for for me throughout the film is just thinking about you know again how it kind of ties back to um interviewing a, with a vampire is all around sexuality i mean i would say this film is quite horny um <laughs> as, a, as a film I, I think i forgot i watched it last night i was like oh i was like well i wasn't expecting it to be like that um i completely forgot the scene of Lucy having sex with um, Dracula as a as a bat outside, and Mina finding them. I was like, "Oh, so that's what people are up to in the night time, is it?" <laughs> <laughs> I had exactly the same reaction to the film. I saw Bart since I watched it, and I was like, I kind of came across that scene, and I was like, "Oh, it's actually right in between her legs." <laughs> Yeah, it's quite, and I think that's what's quite interesting about this film um, is that obviously one of the one of the big themes in the film is repressed sexuality, um, and again, there's at one point I think it's hard for us to understand the ages of Lucy and Mina, um, but I know in one scene when Mina, not Mina, sorry, Lucy is in her bed having what is some kind of orgasm vampire thing, um, and you've got, you know, uh, Auntie Hopkins character Van Helsing, again, forgot Van Helsing was in it, I was like, oh shit, um, Van Helsing <laughs> is there, and the Doctor are there, and I think he says, oh, by God, she's just a child, which... I don't know what you picked up on that, but I suddenly had this thought again, thinking kind of like other films. I was like, and talking about like what we're saying about like sex offenders. How old are Lucy and Mina in this film? Yeah, I think there's a definite, even if they're not Mm. very, very young, I think there's a definite infantilization of the women in this film. I mean, like Lucy is basically like, I mean, she's basically like desired by all of these men. So they also want to kind of control and impress yeah. her and, you know, dress her up in a wedding dress like a dolly and marry her and basically make sure that she's kind of, you know, at home and con- conforming to this kind of image of like a Victorian wife, which she is never from the very beginning. Because I don't <laughs> yeah. think that she, I don't think that Dracula kind of gives her like a sexual awakening. I think she's already a sexual being. Yeah. I think when she's first introduced, she's kind of like, but she's very flirtatious and she's very confident mm. and she kind of commands the men by just being herself. Yeah. And I think what Dracula does is kind of give her permission to basically like be a kind of liberated sexual woman and kind of empowers her to do that. Um, 
yeah, but yeah, there's, there's a definite like infantilization of the women, I think. Because all the men are kind of like horrible in this film, except maybe Dracula, which is odd <laughs> to think about. <laughs> You're, do you know what you're actually i think you've touched on something really important there as well talking about kind of like um you know sexual liberation is you're right all all of the men in this film and you can even go as far as kind of like you know van helsing's character i was like oh he's a bit weird like i don't know got like a, a wrong and vibe from him um all of the men yes they seem quite you know women have a place to them and their places like you said wives controlled wives stay at home you know all of that whereas dracula absolutely he you know like you said he doesn't necessarily give lucy her sexual awakening she's clearly quite you know in touch with that side of herself but for instance he completely liberates mina to be a sexual being because at the beginning of the film she sees that book doesn't she and there's like little picture of a cartoons having sex and she's like oh gross no 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 and then by the end of it, you know, she's like, hello, Dracula, let's, I mean, she didn't see these words, but, you know, basically, let's go and fuck. I want to, you know, she's very open about that. And in a way, that that's a great thing to see a male character go, I want you to be your full self and be you. Um, and I think, again, just kind of touching on what you said about Dracula almost being the only kind of nice character is you know even when he's thinking about changing mina into a vampire he has a moment where he goes actually no do like almost do you want to do this and thinking about what we've spoken about consent he kind of stops and says are you sure in a way and she goes actually i want this and then he goes okay i'll let you do it yeah he's kind of like the most I mean, he's basically meant to be like the monster and the villain, so they're all kind of like, you know, chasing after his pitchforks. Yeah. But he, in a way, is kind of like the most respectful guy. Yeah. He kind of, you know, respects consent, respects women's kind of, um, you know, sexual power and, you know, and kind of doesn't want to kind of repress them in the way that the others do and pathologize them as well. I mean, Lucy's sexuality is basically treated like a disease. But when Mina and Dracula are together, it's kind of just natural. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think a lot of something I find really interesting about sexuality as well is a lot of how a lot of it is sort of conveyed through the clothing that they wear. Like Mina, when she's first introduced, she dresses really kind of conservatively, like a sort of traditional Victorian woman. And then as she spends a bit more time with Dracula, she kind of wears a kind of more sort of sensual colours, like reds, and she kind of has more like flesh on show. I think he like buys her a dress. I think they have like they had like lunch like dinner together when yes. they were in London, and he kind of buys her this dress. But she not in like a weird way, but she kind of seems like comfortable in that, as if like that's what she wants. Um, yeah. And he's kind of like, again giving her kind of permission to to be that person that she wants to be, but maybe society doesn't allow her to be. I love that. I love that Dracula is, and it, and I guess it, you know, it kind of ties in because thinking about like all adaptations of of Dracula, like he's he's almost like the, the ultimate sex symbol in a way, isn't he? And it's like, yes, okay, he's he's wrong in in some of the things he does because he is a blood sucking um, vampire. But you know, even if we look at like the overall story in this film, is 
it's sad like by the end of the film i was like all dracula ever wanted was his wonderful elizabetta his princess and he found mina who looked exactly like her and he traveled across the bloody world in a box on a horrible ship just to get to her i mean it's it's kind of severe dedication to his love for one woman which i mean how can you not love that yeah, the film the film makes it into like a love story. I mean, you kind of get that from the very beginning as well. Yeah. It's a bit of like a Romeo and Juliet element where Elizabeth kills herself because she thinks Dracula's dead and then he's actually not and it's just a miscommunication. So, yeah, I think the film sets up that kind of tragic love story from the very beginning. Um, yeah, it is sad because yeah, cause you get like so much of, of Dracula's and Mina's relationship kind of building up all the way through and then in the end it's, her who has to kill him and i think that's that's something we see a lot in like more kind of more kind of modern vampire narratives as well is that the, mm. the vampires are often not killed by you know the people that are trying to haunt them it's they're killed by their lovers or they're killed by their kind of the people who they made like when claudia and uh louis kill Lestat or try to kill Lestat. it's um yeah there's that kind of quite strange relationship between someone loving the vampire but also understanding that they need to be killed yeah and it's and i guess it goes back to that kind of melancholic you know aspect of the vampire that it's it's a sad life they live like you know they can't really um live in in full existence they can't necessarily have a have a loving relationship because how is that feasibly gonna work and you're right you know even a lot of modern day um aspects of vampires show that it it, it does always end up like tragedy for for the vampire and you know i think in this film some of the most like some of the most beautiful scenes are the representations of kind of their their love and and their relationship you know i think for me i actually um i forgot the opening scene and i actually think it might be one of my favorite opening scenes of a movie ever um i mean it's a little bit into the movie probably like five ten minutes or something but you know seeing her full and plunge to her death elizabetta him come back you know read that letter where you get to see her tumbling within the words which i found really powerful and then you know he loses his shit and when he plunges his sword into you know god's cross and all the blood starts coming out and is when you know symbolizes him becoming a vampire i was like holy shit that's that is how you open a vampire movie (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah oh my god that opening scene it, it's doing so much it's literally mm. like doing so much and this is just like the opening like it sets up it sets up a really kind of epic film like from the beginning i think that opening scene i mean this might just be a bit of a gap in my knowledge or this might be the case i'm not sure but that feels really unusual as well because you don't often see vampires kind of expressing a relationship with god yeah like yeah because you always see, you might see things like, you know, someone whipping out, like Van Helsing whipping out a crucifix and then we're like recoiling from it. But you don't see them like as a human sort of having this kind of relationship with God and then having to like, um, you know, kind of like renounce religion to kind of be a vampire. That's normally kind of just like not, not seen as part of the process. 
and then when it yeah when it kind of starts to cross and then all those the blood falls out it's just oh it's so it's just so cool it's a really effective scene yeah and and I guess you know touching on on what you mentioned there about kind of like the religious aspect is um you know in in a way like you couldn't you could never have a vampire without religion you know these things are supernatural to the point of that you know in a way if you i mean i i don't want to offend anyone here but i'm i'm not religious and i've always thought you know if religion were to exist in its in itself it is supernatural you know you can't have god without the devil and the devil has demons and vampires are you know probably part of that so it's it's really interesting that you know he was a man of god and he lost his faith and um it's it's making me think of um Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass, which obviously brings together religion and vampires in a in a very smart way, where you kind of go, well, they shouldn't go together. Um, which again, you know, an amazing kind of play on it. But yeah, I never really thought about it kind of like fully from that religious aspect. Yeah, oh, I absolutely need to see um, Midnight Mass. I've been like, it's been like on my watch list of Net- on Netflix for absolutely ages, and I do love a, a Mike Flanagan series. Um, yeah, if it's about vampires, I'll like, I'll devour it. <laughs> you will absolutely love it. <laughs> Um, and I want to touch on we're, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up in a in a minute. I feel like we could probably talk about um, vampires for a very long time, but there's always more opportunities to bring vampires back. But I want to know if there's any other um, adaptations of um, Dracula or you know other kind of like vampire stories that you particularly like. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, because when I was doing my PhD mm. I just I watched so many vampire <laughs> films it was great it was like is this even work I don't know <laughs> so another so yeah I discovered like loads of films that I kind of didn't really have much of a relationship before yeah but with before that I kind of now have quite a good relationship with so one for me definitely is The Hunger um mm. so the yeah. film with David Bowie I just think it's so so good because you've got like they're basically kind of like it's like it's like goth culture in a film but then it's also like such a sophisticated film like with you know the kind of classical music and then and then it's like queer relationships and yeah and then vampires actually kind of decaying and dying which you don't normally see as well so yeah i love it i love the hunger yeah the hunger was um i i only watched the hunger probably about for I think it was over Christmas actually that I finally watched The Hunger. My dad actually said to me, he was like, Cool, you're a vampire fan, you haven't even seen The Hunger. I was like, All right, mate. And I watched it, and yeah, I was like, Okay, I love this film. Like, it's it, it to me, like, it just feels like exactly as you'd expect um, a vampire film. And I think uh, one adaptation, and I don't know if you've seen this, one adaptation I adored recently was um the BBC's version of Dracula. Yeah, with um oh I'm gonna butcher his name, but it's like class something, yeah. Something like that. Like, or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, and you know what I mean? Yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, I liked that a lot. And that was so interesting as well, because that was like yeah, like moving through time because you had like the kind of nineteenth century stuff and then it was like moving to the modern day. Yeah, I really, really liked that. Yeah. 
yeah, that was a great, um, great portrayal of Dracula. And again, yeah, I was like, can I marry Dracula? Is that okay? I was like, is that a normal thing? Um, well, Harriet, thank you so, so much for talking with me about two of my favourite films. I hope I didn't get too excited um, about, <laughs> I feel like Bram Stoker, I was like, ooh, <laughs> getting a bit <laughs> over the top with some of those things there. But um, it has been a delight as always. Where can anyone listening find you? Um, so I'm mostly on Twitter, so you can follow me at Gothic Celeb and you can also look at my link tree, which you can find on Twitter and also just my articles on, on Gould because I'm always contributing various things. Well, thank you so much, and I will speak to you very soon. Thank you, Zoe. It's been so much fun. big big bloodthirsty thank you to Harriet for coming and discussing two of my favourite um, vampire films which is of course Interview with a Vampire and Bram Stoker's Dracula. I hope you have enjoyed today's podcast episode. Um, don't forget to shout about the Ghouls Gang podcast on social media because it helps us reach new audiences. You can also head over to Ghouls Magazine for more spooky content. Your support means the world to us, so thank you, as always, for helping to keep us alive. I have been your host, Zoe Smith. Keep it ghoulish. <laughs>